Welcome to Let's Talk Real Estate, where John Ainsworth, National Head of Real Estate for Barclays, talks with Simon Rubinson, Chief Economist at RICS, on the latest trends within their UK residential market survey and what that might mean for the real estate market. John, over to you. Hi, everyone. I'm really pleased to be hosting our very first and dedicated real estate podcast, which will be focusing on some of the key issues facing the sector. We're planning to record these on a quarterly basis. For our first episode, I thought it would be a good idea to understand the market in a little more detail. That's why I'm thrilled to welcome to the podcast Simon Rubinson, Chief Economist at RICS. Hello, Simon. I'm really looking forward to posing you a few questions on the findings in your recent survey. Hello, John. And yes, there are a number of interesting themes emerging from our most recently released survey, which for those of you who are unaware, we run on a monthly basis. Now, I should stress, it is purely a sentiment survey of agents working across the country who are kind enough to provide their feedback regarding what they're seeing in the market. That sounds promising. Shall we get stuck in then? I've had the opportunity to read the survey and there are some really interesting insights. But I suppose my first question revolves around the sentiment of the market. So what's the survey telling us on inquiries, sales and instructions? Look, the overall picture at a national level is still reasonably firm, but there are just a few signs that the lockdown, perhaps unsurprisingly, is putting some people off viewing and listing properties. And that is obviously despite the fact that the market is, at least nominally, open for business. And this is reflected in some of the indicators that we track that capture both the new inquiries trend as well as the new instructions. They've both dipped. We measure this on a seasonally adjusted basis. So we try and account for what might happen at a particular month in the year. And this is the first fall in these metrics that we've actually seen since the spring of 2020. So it is a bit of a turnaround. Now, I should add at this point that actual transaction levels being completed is still at a high level. But I think that's really primarily a result of deals done at the back end of last year. The RICS series tracking agreed sales in January, I'm afraid, was also down a bit. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I guess that the falls off the rises we saw during 2020, I guess, has to be expected with the COVID impact. So obviously, from a real estate perspective, we cover the whole of the UK. So it'd be really good to understand a bit more detail around those sort of regional variances. Yeah, it's really interesting at the moment. I mean, it may seem a little bit simplistic to characterise the answer to your question as London versus the rest of the country. But there is at the moment an element of truth to it. And that's really reflecting the numbers we're seeing in our survey, as well as some of the anecdotal comments that we get from respondents, because we always ask them for their additional sort of thoughts on the marketplace. Now, without wishing to point the finger solely at COVID, I think there's no doubt that the restrictions that have been required to fight the pandemic have, in truth, encouraged homeowners to think much more practically about things like location and space, and that's space both internally and externally. And in addition, I think you know, the prospect of more flexibility in work practices, which we've begun to see obviously emerge in the wake of the pandemic, but which could well persist beyond the pandemic, also seems to be contributing to a shift in thinking. The appeal of highly urbanised living appears, at least temporarily, to have lost some of its appeal. I guess what I'd be interested to hear a bit more around is what specific locations people 
or moving, you know, wherever the places he's seeing that increased demand for. And then what other factors are people taking into account when they're actually looking to buy or rent that next property? Well, I suppose the answer to these questions in part reflects on one's ability to actually have that choice. But where the choice is available, we've certainly got feedback to our survey that areas, for example, Norfolk has been particularly sought after. Now, Norfolk is cheaper than Suffolk. It hasn't had the price increases of the same magnitude anyway in recent years. But, you know, it is still, say, accessible to a number of big centres. And I'm thinking of London in particular. So people who previously were travelling into London five days a week might in future envisage working in London two or three days a week. And they may well be thinking, you know, well, Norfolk then provides a more realistic opportunity than it might have done a few years back. Norfolk obviously will not just provide some commuter links into the capital, but it will also provide a lot of the other advantages or attributes that homeowners are looking for in this new world, which includes space, but also includes green space, includes gardens. Those sorts of attributes have become higher up the priority list for homeowners. And even if we look in city centres rather than just identifying more rural areas, we find exactly the same comments. So taking London, Birmingham, Manchester, people are living there by looking to move perhaps to somewhere bigger are looking at gardens. They are looking at green spaces. They still want, and that is important, communication links. They know that they will at times need to travel into the centre. So transport links remain important inevitably down the list now in terms of valued attributes are going to be and I sort of already given a bit of a clue about this but city center type locations definitely have gone down the list and alongside that I think that if you are looking at apartments and many people will obviously see lots of value in apartments you want more private space and less communal space and in the past it might have been the reverse but private space in apartments is now prized and balconies are prized as well. Now, the findings that we're seeing in terms of the readings for housing market trends show that the picture in the capital, while it's still moving in upward direction, is in in relative terms fairly poorly performing. But if we look at other parts of the country, the southwest and east Anglia and parts of the Midlands and also the north, we're seeing a much more robust, resilient and strong market. So they're really I'm not sure that there's significant regional differences beyond that London national split. But that London national split is very much in evidence. Thanks, Simon. And it's always helpful to get that regional picture as to what's happening. So moving on from the overall activity, what do you think the main drivers of these trends are at a national and regional level? Well, in truth, it's hard to avoid the macro influences in the market. Interest rates, as we know, are pretty much now rock bottom and mortgage borrowing costs may be a little bit higher, but they're still at pretty attractive levels. On top of this, Although the pandemic has, as we all know, taken a heavy toll on national output, the impact on employment has been rather more mixed. The furlough scheme clearly has played an important role in preventing widespread job losses, and we must be thankful for that. Where those job losses have occurred, it tends to be in specific parts of the economy. Now, however unpalatable it might be to acknowledge this at a time of national crisis, Many of those who have remained in employment have actually been saving more than usual. And in some cases, they've taken this decision to use the wealth boost to either move home or perhaps buy another property in another location. 
This choice has, of course, also been encouraged by the stamp duty holiday, which has been particularly beneficial for so-called second steppers as well as investors. And also the imminent tapering of the help to buy scheme has also been a further incentive to get in now before some of that benefit disappears. I suppose picking up on the theme around the change of approach over the last 12 months, obviously it's been a challenging time for everyone in the real estate sector and we're all having to think about how we do things differently, especially activities such as valuations. So what's the latest approach to valuations that you're doing and is there anything else that you've had to change in terms of your approach in dealing with this change in landscape? Look, inevitably, valuers, like all of us, had to tailor their approach to reflect the current working environment. And whether that means at times wearing PPE or whether it means working very closely with the homeowner to consider the appropriate time to do any valuation or where possible do the valuation remotely, all these factors have come into play. More fundamentally, I suppose, the good news is that the upsurge in activity we have seen over the last year has meant that there hasn't been the typical challenge one might see around executing valuations in a weak economy. And just to repeat, that's what we've got at the moment if you look at the numbers for GDP. Now, this may, of course, change if the ending of a furlough scheme were to see a sharp uplift in unemployment soon after the expiry of the stamp duty holiday. In those circumstances, what you could see is a sharp drop-off in transaction numbers. Now, I don't happen to think it'll be a sharp drop-off, but if you were to get that, then you get into problems for valuers again because of a lack of comparables, and that provides another problem on top of the more sort of direct response to COVID that impacts on the way valuers work. That's good to understand, Simon. So I guess we talked about the overall market, then broken that into regions and how we're rising to challenges in the ways of working. I'd like to switch our attention to rents and yields. From your survey, what are you seeing in terms of rental income and yield rates from a national and regional perspective? And what's the current position in terms of supply and demand in rental properties? So what's striking in the numbers I'm seeing at the moment is the ongoing strength of the rental market. Demand generally remains firm, but a notable exception to this pattern is visible in London, where there are tentative signs of a drop in population growth, um, in fact, population numbers, I should say. And that's partly linked to reports of an outward migration of foreign born workers. Now, this cohort would typically be more likely to rent rather than own property. The other persistent story that we're getting back from the survey is the impact of the changing regulatory environment and tax regime and what that's having in in terms of the appeal on buy-to-let investments. Our new landlord instruction series is a good proxy for this trend, and it remains stuck in negative territory, which means not enough property is really coming to the market. Now, the government and many others have identified build to rent as being the long-term answer to this challenge. A real shift to perhaps a more professional sort of response to the rental market. But whether this sector is scaling up quickly enough remains to be seen, particularly given the reluctance of the sort of more traditional buy to let investors to continue to be so active in the market. Now, I have my doubts about the response from Bill to Rent. I think that, you know, the role it is playing is an important role and it will probably grow in importance over the years to come. But what I am seeing from the survey is that rents seem to be 
edging upwards in many parts of the country. London, again, is an exception where we're seeing rents under pressure. But elsewhere, the sentiment indicators are pointing to rents moving higher. And if you've got that imbalance between demand and supply, that's what you would expect. So the lack of supply, the lack of instructions, the lack of new investment in the sector does seem to be contributing towards an outlook which points to higher rental values. Brilliant. Thanks for that. So I guess nobody has a crystal ball in terms of what's likely to happen in the property market. But from your experience in the survey data, what's your best guess in terms of how things will play out this year? It's a t- that's a tough one, John. Bit of a curveball there. Look, for what it's worth, the data suggests a number of things to me. On balance, it looks likely that sales activity, more likely than not, will be a little bit more sluggish this year. And the reason for that is the tax incentives to purchase property are set to diminish. So you would expect a bit of a tailing off in activity. Now, if the economy proves more robust, then who knows? It may be that transaction activity holds up better. But that's what you would expect. Secondly, the indicators I'm looking at suggest that on balance, prices will remain pretty resilient, even with a lower level of volume activity in the market. And that is despite a likely uplift in unemployment. And I suppose ultimately that reflects the ongoing shortfall of available homes relative to demand. And I sort of mentioned that just before with regards to the rental market, but I think it's even more visible in the sales market. And the third point I probably would make here is that for a while to come, I would not be surprised if the regional skew I've been talking about persists. That said, I would stress that over time, I anticipate London regaining some of its appeal. It may take a little bit more time, but I don't think we've seen the end of London going forward. It's just in a process of an adjustment at the moment. That's great. Thanks, Simon. And thanks for letting me pose the questions today and sharing your latest insights. Before we go, can I just ask you one final question, which is, what are the biggest things which those involved in the real estate market should have at the forefront of their minds for the remainder of the year? Well, look, I suppose it's inevitable that some focus needs to still be on COVID, even with the vaccine rollout. And of course, the response from the economy. I would note that the recent comments from the Bank of England in this regard have been relatively sanguine. So that's perhaps reassuring for professionals working in the sector. Finally, I'd say it's advisable to keep an eye on the Chancellor. We know that he has a huge debt issue to address. My suspicion and hope is that he won't worry too much about it just yet. But at some point, that story will move to centre stage. So something we definitely need to keep an eye on going forward. It's been a real pleasure having you on our first ever podcast today. Thanks, John. It's been a pleasure too. Let's do it again. Great. And thanks for everyone that's listened to our first podcast. I hope you'll join us for our next podcast where we'll be discussing another important topic facing the real estate sector and what it could mean for you. If you've enjoyed the Let's Talk Real Estate podcast, please subscribe and we'll let you know when more episodes are available. We also have a Let's Talk Agriculture and Let's Talk Brokers podcast featuring the latest market insights and delving deeper into interesting topics and issues facing those sectors. You can find it in our Let's Talk Business channel. Make money work for you. Any property used as security, which could include your home, may be repossessed if you don't keep up repayments on your mortgage. 
The views and opinions expressed in this content don't necessarily reflect the views of Barclays Bank UK PLC, nor should they be taken as statements of policy or intent of Barclays Bank UK PLC. Barclays Bank UK PLC takes no responsibility for the veracity of information intimated by a third party and no warranties or undertakings of any kind, whether expressed or implied, regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information given. Barclays Bank UK PLC takes no liability for the impact of any decisions made based on information contained and views expressed. Barclays Bank UK PLC Authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.